man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Thursday edition, PFT PM. Sorry I wasn't able to do it Tuesday. Or Wednesday. Wednesday was a travel day. Tuesday was just one of those days where the day got away from me. And before I knew it, I didn't have time to do it. So, sorry about Tuesday. Can't really apologize about Wednesday. No apologies necessary for Thursday, because here we are, ready to go with the PFTPM podcast. You know, the news is really slowing down. Not that I'm trying to scare anybody away, because we're creatures of habit, and we continue to find things to talk about, and there always will be something to talk about. But it clearly isn't what it was before the draft, and that's how it usually goes, especially with OTAs not going yet. I'm not aware of anyone who's having the OTAs yet. We're wrapping up phase two of the off-season program in most cities. The OTAs will be starting next week, I believe, in most places. And those are the 10 on-field practices. They call it organized team activity. Why don't they just call it practice? What's wrong with calling it practice? Why does OTA, organized team activity, oh, it's not practice. Oh, no, it's just an organized team activity. What, they go bowling? Right? They go to the drive-in movies? There's always some organization implied in any team activity. Anyway, I feel like I say that every year. I just don't know why they do that. Just call it off-season practice. Call it on-field. Call it something. It's practice. They don't have a special name for it during training camp, do they? It's practice. The Eagles have been invited to go to the White House June 5, according to NBC Sports Philadelphia. I don't think the invitation comes unless the Eagles have made it clear that they'll at least be sending someone. I don't know who they'll be sending. Owner Jeffrey Lurie has had some strong comments about the current administration. Multiple members of the roster likely won't be going. It's going to be an issue every time now. I can't remember it being this kind of issue every time a team was invited to the White House. The Golden State Warriors didn't even go after winning last year. And there were occasions when I recall Matt Burke didn't go to the White House because his reason was that President Obama had said, God bless Planned Parenthood. And that really wasn't exactly what Obama said. He just did the classic, God bless you and God bless the United States of America as he signed off at a speech. But the Planned Parenthood group controversial as it relates to abortion. I get it. I understand it. Burke didn't go because of that. A lot more people haven't gone. Or a lot more also have spoken out against going in this administration. More than, look, wherever you are on the political spectrum, obviously, it's more than we've ever seen before. It's an issue almost every time a major league team is invited to the White House. I don't remember being issue with the Houston Astros, but last year with the Patriots, we had an over-under on how many members of the team weren't going to go. And now this year, the the Eagles are invited. We'll see. We'll see who shows up. The Eagles went worse to first last year. And earlier this week, we were doing best bets on PFT Live. I think this was Tuesday. Just trying to come up with some creative, outside-the-box ideas, prop bets that we would take. And I said, you know what? If the Cowboys don't 
win the division this year, Jason Garrett is going to be out. And I don't know, is that going out very far on a limb? Maybe because Jerry Jones has stubbornly defended Jason Garrett. Because Jason Garrett lets Jerry Jones be in charge and or act like he's in charge. I've always said it's the Junior Soprano approach where Tony was actually in charge but let Uncle June think he was in charge. I feel like Jason Garrett and Stephen Jones let Uncle June think he's in charge. Maybe we should start calling Jerry Jones Uncle June. Nah. But at some point, Jerry Jones is going to realize too many years have gone by without the kind of success that you expect, that you demand. This team hasn't been to the NFC Championship game since 1995. Think about that. That's embarrassing. And I know that Jerry Jones can put a positive spin on anything, but this will be 23 years that the team hasn't made it to the NFC Championship game. And I don't think they have to make it there to save Garrett. Maybe just get to the divisional round. But if they don't win the division, I think he's definitely out. And if the Giants win the division, if the Giants go worst to first, one year after the Eagles went worst to first, that's the kind of thing that could torment Jerry Jones to the point where he says, I just got to find a coach who can put his foot in this team's ass. Because Pat Shermer will have done it in New York if the Giants turn it around. Doug Peterson did it in Philadelphia. And now Jerry Jones is going to want some of the same. There used to be a cycle to Jones where after Jimmy Johnson, he wanted to show he could do it on his own. And the team went down. And the team bottomed out. And he went and found Bill Parcells and basically took a knee and begged Parcells to come turn the mess around. So Parcells did. Well, after he had enough of Parcells, Jones went the other way. And it wasn't just about having enough of Parcells. It was getting to the point where the team was doing so well, Jerry thought he could finish the job. So then Parcells is gone. And it hasn't bottomed out since then, although arguably it should have. Parcells never made it to the conference championship. No one since. Wade Phillips, Jason Garrett, Cowboys have had so many coaches since Barry Switzer won a Super Bowl with Jimmy Johnson's team. I can't even remember all of them without looking them up. Let's see. I've got the record and fact book here. Highly recommend the record and fact book, although I don't think they sell it anymore. Every year, I get a little more concerned that this is going to be the last year that I get a hard copy. Because right now, I have to essentially say pretty pleased to the league office to get one. They don't sell them. They make them, but they don't sell them. All right. Bill Parcells, let's go all the way back. You know, it's amazing. When you have one head coach from 1960 through 1988, you don't have a lot of coaches on your list. Every team in the record and fact book, it has the list of coaching history. Tom Landry, to Jimmy Johnson, to Barry Switzer, to Chan Gailey, to Dave Campo, to Bill Parcells, Wade Phillips, and now Jason Garrett. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight coaches in franchise history. And Garrett has been there longer than anyone not named Tom Landry. Garrett's got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He's got seven plus years because he got the job during the 2010 season. 
So I mentioned all that because Terrell Owens, who is trying to make his way in the media, a couple of weeks ago he wanted to appear with me on PFT Live. He thought we were on in the evening like we used to be. Although he's been on, with, he was with us in the morning at the Super Bowl. Yeah, there's so many shows out there. I don't expect him to remember everything. But he's trying to do more media. He's trying to get his chops that way, which is good. I think, you know, if he could get, like anything else, you get the reps, you get the reps, you get better, you get better, you get better. Although what's my excuse? I don't know. But I know for most people, the most normal people, the more you do it, the better you get. Owens was on with our friends at 105.3, the fan in Dallas. And... He said he doesn't know why Garrett is still the coach. I have no idea. You know what's really tough when you look at it? It doesn't make sense for Garrett to continue to have his job. The organization isn't really expanding or progressing, even as a team under his coaching tenure there. I think Jerry, again, he's the owner at the end of the day. He has to feel good with himself about the decisions. I just don't understand why Garrett still has a job. And the thing about Jerry Jones, he supports you completely and totally and unconditionally until the moment that he doesn't. Because Terrell Owens went through that. You getting rid of Terrell Owens? Nope. What do you think of Terrell Owens? I love him. I'm keeping him. You getting rid of him? Nope. You keeping Terrell Owens? Yep, we're keeping him. Happy with Terrell Owens. We're keeping him. Oh, we have an announcement to make. We're done with Terrell Owens. I wasn't trying to do a... Trying to do a... uh, Jerry Jones impersonation there. Which is good. Because I'm not very... I, I just... I don't... I don't... You would think that, you know, if you have a decent ear and you can manipulate your vocal cords a little bit, I, I'm not very good at impersonations. And for Chris Sims, every impersonation he does is essentially Phil Sims. Anytime he tries to talk like someone else, it's Phil Sims. And when he tries to do John Gruden, it's Phil Sims doing John Gruden. This Reuben Foster situation, his accuser is in court today. And it's a preliminary hearing, which means that's when the court looks at whether or not there's enough evidence to have a trial. There has to be probable cause. I remember the O.J. Simpson preliminary hearing because that's when we started to get a lot of the details about the alleged, well, not alleged murders. They were actual murders, but the allegation that O.J. Simpson was responsible. That was very compelling back in 1994. So, the accuser, Elissa Ennis, says that she lied to police about Reuben Foster striking her earlier this year because she was upset with him and she wanted to ruin him. And apparently, I'm looking at the tweets from Cam Inman. We had written a story about this earlier. There's been some follow-up. She admitted under questioning that in 2011, she falsely accused an ex-boyfriend of domestic violence after he broke up with her and she went to jail. She ended up testifying for two hours. She was arrested November 4, 2011, charged with two counts of aggravated assault in Baton Rouge. And also... She went to jail in 2011 for making false claims. Now, I, I, this tweet from Cam Inman from 10 minutes ago as of when we're taping this. Reuben Foster's accuser admitting she went to jail for two th- in, in 2011 for false claim of domestic violence versus another boyfriend. He says that she was arrested in November of 2011 and charged with two counts of aggravated assault. I don't see her going to jail for 
falsely accusing someone. But that's what she's admitting to now. She went under oath to admit that she lied to police about what Reuben Foster had done to her. And she creates legal jeopardy for herself by doing that. But as it relates to Foster, how do you get a conviction under those circumstances? Now, from Foster's perspective, he wants to avoid a finding of probable cause to believe that the crime had been committed because he's on leave from the 49ers. He wants it all to go away right now. And if she's telling the truth now, he should. The problem is she was lying at some point. Was she lying then or is she lying now? It's one of the worst things to the credibility of a witness, but that's a good thing for Foster because a case that is premised in large part on the credibility of the witness, if she's admitting to being a liar... You have to figure out when she was lying. And when the standard is as high as it is, proof beyond a reasonable doubt, very difficult to get to the level where you can say beyond a reasonable doubt that Reuben Foster is guilty. Brown's on hard knocks. You know, I, I really don't care about hard knocks. I really don't. I don't even watch. I didn't watch one episode last year of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hard knocks. Oh, it's your job. I got people who watch it and they write about it. I don't need to I don't need to watch it. I don't need to watch it. That that show is on during the month of training camp. There's plenty of other things to pay attention to. Of all the teams out there, the one team to pay the least attention to is the one that was 0-16 last year. I know there's gonna be some storylines, it's gonna be interesting, but you know, they gotta tap somebody on the shoulder every year to do it. As I suggested earlier today. I wonder what kind of promises were made to the Browns. Watch them get the draft in 2020. Nashville next year, and then the Browns in 2020. And watch watch the Titans end up being the Hard Knocks team in 2019. Use it as a quid pro quo. You want to bid on the Super Bowl, you got to give up a home game to London. Remember they did that? Hey, you want the draft, you got to do Hard Knocks. If we want you. I, I don't think they're ever going to force someone to do it. Although... That would be the most compelling. If there was a team that was dead set against it and was only reluctantly allowing the cameras in, that would make it even better. All or nothing, so much more interesting than hard knocks. And in this day and age, you just don't need it. If it's a promotional tool for the NFL, you don't need it. There's so many other ways for people to find out about their teams. You're not going to develop a national following by being on hard knocks. You develop a national following by winning. And the other thing too, it's not like you're going to have a front row seat for a train wreck because the Browns are going to have final say over what makes it into the show. So unless they are as incompetent when it comes to editing as it is, as they are when it comes to playing, don't expect anything other than something that makes the Browns look good. Right? They, they don't know how to win on the field. This is a free and easy way for them to get a win. And it's clear they don't want to do it. John Dorsey made it clear previously he doesn't want to do it. Now they're all like, oh, yeah, we, we, oh, we, we really want to do it. Oh, we're, yeah, we're glad to. Yeah. They're getting something. Just keep your eyes open. Mark my words. Remember when the unnamed scout said that? At least, at least when you're marking words, you know whose words they are. Mark my words. Lamar Jackson isn't going to make it in the NFL. Who are you again? I can't tell you that. It's a secret. Mark my words, the Browns are getting something on the back end. All right, that's pretty much everything that's happening. Since I did this today for PFTPM Posse, I decided let's uh, 
Let's answer as many of your questions as possible. Only 44 so far. Where are you at, PFTPM Posse? I don't know why I'm complaining. I always feel bad when I don't get to all of them. From the PFTPM Posse account, will the gambling revenue be enough for any of the upstart football leagues to stick around for more than a partial season? Will it allow the Arena Football League to make a comeback? It lasted from 87 to 2008, 2010 to 2014 without gambling money. So... Is it proven to be feasible? Actually, arena football is still around. They're just down to four teams this year. This gambling angle potentially, well, and we know it'll make the NFL more popular. It's not going to make it less popular, but it does, I think, create a more viable opportunity for the Alliance of American Football, which begins play next spring, for the XFL, which is due to begin play in early 2020. And I think it's another factor. And you know where I'm going with this. As the NFL makes its product safer and safer and safer. It's another factor. Somebody out there that's got a couple billion decides, you know what? I'm bringing back football the way it used to be played. You want to gamble on this new softer health and safety version of football, or you want to gamble on real football, we got you covered. And they could play the games Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Why Friday and Saturday? Because if you set this league up as a single entity, which is pretty much every new league that comes out is set up that way. It's one entity And they have the teams underneath that umbrella. If you do that, you don't need the broadcast antitrust exemption. See, the NFL can't have games on Fridays and Saturdays from early September until early December because the trade-off back in the 60s, man, you're talking about a clown from the 60s, man. The trade-off was Congress allowed the NFL to essentially violate the antitrust laws. By marketing all TV rights under one umbrella. You can't do that. See, because these are all different businesses, it should be the Cowboys selling their own TV rights. The Jaguars selling their own TV rights. The Browns selling their own TV rights. They don't have relegation in the NFL. If they didn't have the broadcast antitrust exemption, it would be de facto relegation. You'd be relegated within the league because you would have less money flowing in for your TV rights. Now, I don't know. Would they all share it? Maybe they'd all share it like teams in a conference in college football share bowl money. But you would have the Cowboys selling their rights for X billion a year total for their home games. And you'd have the teams at the other end that people don't care about selling their rights for peanuts. And I guarantee you, When you look at what the Cowboys do on national TV, what would happen is a network like NBC would buy the rights to every Cowboys home game. Every single Cowboys home game. And would nudge the Cowboys to play those home games on Sunday nights in prime time. So, oh, and it wouldn't be a package like Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football. It would be... If NBC has the Cowboys and CBS has the Patriots and Fox has the Packers. Now, the NFL still has to make the schedule. 
but the networks are going to have a big say in when those games are going to be played. And if the Cowboys are hosting a game on Monday night, it's NBC. And if the Packers are hosting a game on Thursday night, it's Fox. And if the Patriots are hosting a game on Sunday night, it's CBS. There's no more broadcast franchise if that happens. So anyway, my point is this. The NFL can't play games on Friday and Saturday between early September and early December because of the broadcast antitrust exemption. If you start a league as a single entity, you can play whenever you want. So you don't play Thursday, you don't play Sunday, you don't play Monday. That's four days out of the week you can play. Think about it. While you're waiting for for NFL football to return, you can go home, you can pick up your cell phone device, you can watch a couple of teams that you really otherwise don't care about, but you can get involved in it. You can have a stake in it. You can sit there and bet one or two bucks a play. What does that work out to? I mean, think about it. If you bet one or two bucks a play, 70 plays, you're putting up 140 bucks. You win some, you lose some. And even if you end up losing 25 bucks for the night, you entertained yourself for three hours for 25 bucks. If you enjoy feeling like you're connected that way, if you enjoy that rush, oh, I won two bucks. Oh, I lost two bucks. Oh, I won two bucks. Oh, I lost two bucks. I don't know. Will that, will that, we assume that's going to resonate, will it? I don't know. The market will decide. And there will be business opportunities for people who want to try to compete with the NFL in season. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Now, of course, Friday, Saturday, there's going to be college football that you can do that with as well. Friday, I don't know how high school football is going to work. Surely there's not going to be betting on high school football. Surely that's where the lines will be drawn. But who knows? There's plenty of money to be made. And I think other football leagues, they're not going to be less viable moving forward. They're only going to be more viable. PFDPM Posse member Matt Plowman, could a player strike slash owner lockout potentially allow upstart leagues to grab legitimate talent from NFL rosters? Uh, if the players are, I don't know how this works. If you're locked out or you're on strike, are you, are you violating your contract? If it's a legal strike, do you still have to honor your contract that says you can't play in any other league? Now, if they get replacement players during a strike, I mean, I've just assumed that the players could have their own games, stage their own games. And you know what? This makes it even more viable to stage your own games. 2021. If the players strike and the NFL hires replacements and the players say, well, you can watch those crap games or you can watch the real players play and you throw in the gambling angle. Now, there's so much more that still needs to develop. Because it's not just like, hey, you're going to have in-game gambling for any football game and money is just going to fall out of the sky. It's new opportunities to make money, but the contours have yet to be determined. I really can't remember a time, because there hasn't been, where we know something big is happening, but we have no idea what it's going to look like. And we have no idea how much money it's going to generate. And we have no idea where it's going to take the sport. I think the last time... Anyone connected to the NFL would have felt this way would have been when the merger was announced between the AFL and the NFL, two rival leagues coming together. That had to be similar to right now where people are like, what? 
the hell is this going to become? But whatever it is, it's going to be good. Now, in this case, there's concern that it could be bad. There could be unintended consequences that end up jeopardizing the golden goose. But we'll see. PFTPM Posse member Dan Hall, 1981. Will the PFT website aggregate and publish gambling data moving forward, such as lines and odds? Any plans in general to infuse gambling more into the brand? We're still trying to figure all that out. You know, in recent weeks, we've spent more time with some of the prop bets that are out there for the offseason. Rookie of the year. How many wins over under? The team's odds to make it to the Super Bowl out of their given conference. So I think we're gradually evolving. And I think that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be you show up at PFT one day and all of a sudden it's like you went to a gambling portal. What it will be is, and, and this is similar to what we do with fantasy football. We don't overtly pander to the fantasy football crowd, but the information we provide is used by people who play fantasy football. And I think the same thing is going to happen with gambling. And we're going to be conscious of the gambling angle. We already have been, but as it expands, yeah, we're going to be paying more attention to things that we think you'll be interested in. And our guiding principle is what are we interested in? And I don't plan to gamble. And I wonder whether or not there'll be standards that apply to people in broadcasting because some of us have access to inside information that doesn't get published. People who attend production meetings and practices, they see a lot of stuff. Will they be allowed to bet legally? Are they already betting illegally? Will those bets be made through a third person? lot of issues. You know, we think about the players. But if you've got people in position to get inside information and they're capitalizing on it for gambling gain, that's a problem. But it's not like there's some body that oversees integrity in sports broadcasting. So, look, it's not an issue for me because I don't plan on gambling. Then again, I've yet to sit down at my TV with my cell phone device in my hand and put $2 on runner pass or 47 yard field goal into the wind make or miss pftpm posse it just seems way too easy for a coach or somebody close to one to bet on a bunch of prop bets like the first play of the game and other things that won't have a real impact on the game for example the lamar jackson prop bet that we talked about earlier this week. 0.5 over under for starts for Lamar Jackson in 2018. My position is bet the farm on the over. Well, what if somebody close to John Harbaugh wants to bet the farm on the over and says, hey, John, do me a favor. Just start this guy one game this year. I don't care which one. Just start him one game. There's always going to be that potential there. And, you know, when we hear the sports leagues posturing for the integrity fee, we want some money because we we need money, we need funds, we need resources to ensure that there'll be integrity in our games. They got every incentive to ensure there's going to be integrity because if there isn't integrity, they're going to have Congress up their ass. Congress will have hearings and inquiries and eventually the one thing the NFL doesn't want 
an independent commission that oversees professional football or all sports with different divisions, the NFL division, the NBA division, etc. NFL does not want anyone not associated directly with the league deciding league business. That's one of the things we've learned through this effort by the commissioner over the past five years to always have the final say over anything and everything falling under the league's purview. They don't want any outsiders determining their business. Well, if they don't have true integrity, if they don't have full-time officials and expanded replay and a strong commitment to getting every call right, eventually they're going to have to deal with Congress. Eventually they may have to deal with an independent oversight agency. So, yes, it's a valid concern. There will be potential for abuse, and the NFL had better start coming up now with ways to ensure that those abuses don't happen. They already may be, but it becomes a bigger deal once gambling is legalized. PFTPM Posse, just have to say that listening to Peter King rip into stats on PFT Live made me so warm and fuzzy inside. Next time you talk to Peter, make sure he knows he has a standing open invitation to join the PFTPM Posse. That was great. That was on Wednesday's PFT Live from 30 Rock. Peter spent an hour with me, and stats did some fill-in-the-blanks, and one was the veteran quarterback who should be looking the most over his shoulder, and Peter ripped him, ripped him. That one's too easy. Stats, take your Mariner's jacket and go come up with some better questions. Oh, it was great. Stats was stats was floored. He was hurt. I think he was going to cry. Not, not that there's anything wrong with that. Let's see what else is going on. I never, I'm serious. I mean, I get him. I, I went to a show Tuesday night and cried. I always cry. And I don't always cry at Broadway musicals. But, you know, if they touch me in a certain way, I do. Once on this island, show that I knew nothing about, apparently a revival, a revival from a show that lasted for a year back in 1990, 1991. Excellent. Circle in the Square Theater, so the seats are all around it. Sand all over the place because, it, you know, island. Very well done. Very well done. Everyone, I mean, and, you know, everyone in the cast has a great voice. I mean, otherwise you're not going to get the part. But it's amazing, the quality of the musical talent. Very well done. Anyway, I cried at the end. And I didn't expect... The the worst one's for me. Have you been in that situation where you didn't expect to get emotional and then it hits you like a sledgehammer and then you can't stop? So do you sit there with a wet face? Do you, do you make it even more obvious by trying to dry off your face? And it's not like I'm carrying around a handkerchief. Remember when your dad would carry around a handkerchief, i.e. snot rag? Pull that thing out. You know, use it, fold it in half. Use it again, fold it in half. By the end of the day, you had a, uh, what's that called? The paper, when they take the paper. It would have been a much better line if I'd remember what they call it. What do they call that? When they take origami. An origami of snot. That's, boy, that would have been better if it hadn't taken me 30 seconds to remember origami. Anyway, uh, yeah, I I was... uh, and then it was like, can I get it together before the lights come on? I'll tell you what. I had that experience 2012, around the holidays. Les Mis, the movie was out with Hugh Jackman, Anne Hathaway, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe was awful in that, by the way. Of course, that would apply to everything except Gladiator, I think. But Sorry, Russell. But that was one where I got that sledgehammer with the the... the you know, 
so the sledgehammer of emotion that I didn't expect. Near the end. Near the end. Just just clubbed over the head. And it wouldn't stop. And then every time I watch it since then, there's like six different spots during the movie where I cry. Or the show. So they did a revival of that a few years ago. That, that, that show's excellent. I'd go see that show any and every night. If it was... Local, if it was near, if I was living in New York and Les Mis was playing, I would go see it, not every night, I'd go see it at least once a week. At least once a week. That's how good it is. If you've never seen it, well, and, and I, I don't know how the traveling production, even if they do that anymore, but Les Mis, if they bring it back to New York City, if we all live that long, I mean that kind of jokingly, kind of not, if they bring it back, uh, make sure you go see it. Boy, how do we get down that rabbit hole? All because I was making fun of stats and I felt bad. What else do we have here? PFTPM Posse, if when legalized gambling does result in a massive windfall for the NFL, it means the salary cap will get a massive boost. Should the NFL PA... <coughs> Hang on a second. Ah. All that talk about crying got to my vocal cords. Take two. If and when legalized gambling does result in a massive windfall for the NFL, it means the salary cap will get a massive boost. Should the NFL play a urge players to not sign deals until after the bump or will the profits come in over time? I, I don't think that you wait. I think you get paid while you can because it's not going to be a dramatic one day the salary cap is this, the next day it's going to be $50 million higher per team. So I think you move forward. Not worrying about whether or not the team's going to be able to manage the cap. That becomes even more BS, in my view. It's the Peyton Manning, Darrell Revis approach. I'm getting my best possible deal. You worry about how to manage the salary cap. That's the approach I'd take. Jay Jones, 22-18-28. As an individual that has gambled for years, I noticed you make a lot of incorrect statements about gambling. Have you Oh, well, thank you. I... <laughs> Uh, hi, thank you. I, I guess I should have screened this a little bit better. I, I, and I admit, I don't know a lot of the details about gambling because I don't gamble. Have you considered having a gambling expert on the fifth day of PFT Live? No. If not, would you at least learn more about gambling? Okay. I guess I need to. I mean, I don't profess to be a gambling expert. But over time, I guess I'll learn more about gambling. I'd like to know what I'm getting so wrong. Please educate me, Jay Jones, 22-18-28. I think I've done a decent job this week of spotting all the potential issues. But yeah, I'm not nuanced in how they set the, the, the odds and all the things that go into that and all the various forms and features that are available. So yeah, I'm. I, but I probably will be learning a lot because if people are interested in it, you know, I think my knowledge meshes with the average fan. And as more people become interested in gambling, they're going to learn more about it. So we're all going to learn about it together. Recliner QB, how do you feel about net neutrality since we both make our living with, through, because of the internet? I don't see any good coming from it being killed. Feels like a money grab by greedy corporations through the crooked politicians they own. Thoughts? I thought net neutrality was being brought back. I thought the FCC killed it and Congress is in the process of passing a law that would bring it back. I don't know where that all goes, but the idea that Eventually, without net neutrality, large companies could increase bandwidth to certain websites, decrease it to others, 
choking off some, helping others. And it would be such a web to figure it all out. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that the providers should have the ability to say, it's going to be easier for you to get to Hulu and it's going to be harder for you to get to Netflix. Because eventually, the average consumer is going to say, screw Netflix, I'm just going to stick with Hulu. Every time I pull up Netflix, it, it just get that, 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 that loop that just keeps going. You know when you're trying to load in Netflix and it's having a hard time, it's that red, that red circle? You get enough of that red circle, it's like, screw it. Let's do Hulu. Let's do what else is out there. There's probably stuff out there that I don't even know about. Paul PJ5, how happy was Matt Patricia that the Supreme Court ruling happened on Monday? It's not just that because, look, the, the gambling ruling, it did fill the vacuum. It did nudge the Matt Patricia story out of the headlines. But if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. The only way we would have still been talking about the Matt Patricia story today is if the victim had spoken, or if the victim or whoever leaked the original story that was published eight days ago in the Detroit News had put out some other bombshell allegation that got people excited. Now, who knows what's percolating behind the scenes? Who knows if the alleged victim is going to come forward? But, you know, I, I've had some people, not people in the business, but, but just people who, who smell a rat here, okay? And maybe there's a rat, maybe there isn't. I'm giving Matt Patricia the benefit of the doubt until the alleged victim tells her story if she ever does. But there are plenty of people out there who think there's something more nefarious to this than what meets the eye. And my position is, because I get emails, tweets, I hear from people all the time, especially on this. My position is, until the alleged victim speaks or there's some other dramatic development, we just move forward. And it's just another example of how these things die down. They flare up and they die down. Story's a big deal until it's not. And the only way a story that becomes a big deal continues to be a big deal is if there's a way that the the machine keeps being fed with fuel, like some of the things coming out of Washington. Every day, there's another shovel full of coal that gets thrown into the into the boiler. I hope I hope my train terms are right, too. I don't know. I'm starting to question everything now. M. Now, do you think the NFL could try to deliberately keep specific play-by-play betting in stadiums to entice more people to actually go to the games? That's going to be the challenge, right? You make the experience different. You make it better by making it different. You give people who come to the games something they can't get at home. In my mind, the Holy Grail has been the equivalent of the NASCAR radio system where you can listen to what the coach is saying to the quarterback, what the defensive coordinator is saying to the middle linebacker. That gives you something you can't get at home in stadium play by play betting. If they would say, you know what? We don't really want this at home. We don't need this at home. We're going to restrict this to coming to the stadium. You turn your stadium into a freaking casino. Because then the people who want, who desperately need that action, they're going to be the ones who go to the games. May not even be fans anymore. It wouldn't get that bad. But I look at it this way. The NFL is going to make a lot more money. A lot more money. If you can do play-by-play betting at home. People are still going to go to the games. And maybe in the short term... 
they'll see an increase in attendance while they perfect the technology, not just to do it, because apparently one of the things I didn't realize about gambling, the technology is already there to do it. The problem is you can't watch it while you do it because there's lag. For digital streams, there's like a 35-second lag. So you're, you're making guesses not tied in to what you're actually seeing on TV. And there may be a little overlap, but as the play you're watching is ending, they're already huddled up, and they're getting ready for the next play, and the options are out there. So it's just going to be weird until we have real-time technology, not just that lets you bet on your phone instantaneously, but lets you see instantaneously the same way that they see at 345 Park Avenue, everything coming from the stadium. Burn unit, if weed became federally legal, you said the NFL would have a hard time keeping it banned. How's that different than the legal supplements which are banned by the NFL but legal to use by everyone else? That's a good question. Here's why. Because those supplements contain PEDs. And the NFL has determined that certain things that are legally available are not legal to be used by players for the purposes of enhancing performance. Marijuana is not a PED. Now, if they wanted to make marijuana a PED, that would be different. But this is a recreational drug. The idea that you've got a recreational substance that is legal and you tell players they can't do it. You know, they don't tell players they can't drink unless and until the player is in the drug policy because of a DUI issue. So that's the difference here. Marijuana, once it's legal federally, it makes it harder for the NFL to tell players they can't do something that they have every right to do. Supplements. That's when the cheating angle arises. The Real Forno, can we get a Peter King and Chris Sims podcast? So you're saying both of them? Both together and me? I don't know about that. I'd rather do one-on-one. Or I guess, I, and you know, maybe Sims. I think Sims has been on Peter's podcast. I mean, you can get all sorts of cross-pollination. I think I'm going to be on the podcast with Chris Sims and the other guy, the Bleacher Report podcast. I told him at some point the next few weeks. So I'll be on that, whatever podcast that is. Sims and the other guy. See, I know who the other guy is, but Sims tells me, keep keep doing that. Keep that going. Keep calling him the other guy. Sergio D., did Chris Sims take you to John Barrett for a $300 wink-wink haircut? Mr. Morgan getting a massage. He did not. He didn't offer. I don't want a $300 haircut. I pay $32. Every two weeks. My hair grows so fast. Oh, it's a toupee. It, well, it, my toupee grows really fast. For whatever reason, I have a special toupee that has actual growing hair, and it grows really fast. And one thing I'm learning as I get deeper into my 50s, 53 is coming. I'm not fishing for any birthday wishes. All I'm telling you is it's coming. I'm not telling you when, but it's coming. Long hair looks ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 not that I'd go crew cut. But number one, I get ready. I, I, I remember when I was younger and I had like a mullet and, and like much thicker hair than mine is now. Cause it's not, I don't have any bald spots or anything, but you know, your hair was thicker when you were younger. I remember it would take me like a half hour to dry my hair. Like it, and also the, the, the hair dryers back then completely sucked. It was like 600 Watts. It took forever to dry your hair. Now, I think I go, from the minute I get up, I get up at 
By 5.30, I'm showered, shaved, hair dry, and ready to go make a cup of coffee. 15 minutes, ready to go. And you know what? The first five of that, I spent, uh, you know, emptying uh, things, you know, because I'm not yet at the point, thank God, I'm not yet at the point where I get up six times a night. I still wake up with the, you know, hey, it's been about five hours. Uh, got a lot to unload. So that takes the first couple minutes because, you know, I mean, we're getting into the TMI category. But as you get older, even if you're not one of the unlucky ones that has to go six or seven times during the night, sometimes it still takes a little longer to get the plumbing moving. So if you're not already there, you know what you have to look forward to. If you are there, you can relate. Moving right along, the real forno is the reason the NFL is so mum about the Eli Manning fraud case because he hasn't been charged with a crime or be, perhaps perhaps because his last name is Manning. Look, I, I don't... When I raised with the NFL the idea that fraud is one of the enumerated prohibited acts in the personal conduct policy and they went no comment, I got the impression that they see a distinction between criminal fraud and civil fraud. I don't think there is one. I don't think there is one. Fraud is fraud. Fraudulent behavior is fraudulent behavior. And I asked them the other day if they had a comment on Eli Manning. They never responded. See, they'll do that to me. I'll peel back the curtain once again. They, th there's three different types of communications I have with the league office. One is when I ask a straightforward question and they give me an answer in a timely fashion. Two is when I ask them a question they don't want to answer. And here's how it goes. When I ask it the first time, they ignore it. When I ask it the second time, they say we have no comment. We, we will decline comment. But they make me ask it a second time. They force you to remember to ask. And I think they understand that, you know, poor me, thank you for your service. My life is moving pretty fast. And I'm moving from one to the next. This story, that story, this story, that the show, the podcast, this, that. I forget, and I forgot to follow up. When I follow up, I guarantee you the response is going to be we will decline comment. The third type of communication I get from the league office is when they want me to push something, when they want me to know something. That's the affirmative PR function. The defensive PR function is, oh, God, now we got to answer another question from that asshole Florio. The affirmative PR function is, well, you know, the guy's got a website that's read by millions of football fans. Maybe he'll put the message out for us. So they never say thanks when I do that. They say something else, you, when I put out something they don't like. Isn't that funny, though? And uh, look, I don't care, but they do not hesitate to complain to me directly or to people at NBC as if that's going to make a difference. They don't hesitate to do that. But when I, exercising my editorial discretion and judgment, would write something that they like, I never get Thank you for that. Never. Not that it would matter. I prefer it this way because then I'm far less to hesitate when it's time to take aim at something stupid they've done that deserves to be criticized. So, oh, here comes another phone call. All right. Bradley Peters, 13. Why does everyone in the media start every answer with look? Do I do that? Look, I don't know why. Matthew Farley, will Dez sign before the start of camp? Look, I don't know if he will. Peter thinks he's going to sign in June. I think it's better to get onto a team sooner rather than later so you can get properly ensconced 
Get to know the playbook. Get to know the quarterback. Get to know the coaching staff. Get to know your teammates. Get more comfortable. How often is it, and it's not very often, that a guy shows up on a team in training camp as of the regular season and makes a major impact? Doesn't happen. Faisal... I, always get, I think I get Faisal right. I'm just going to go Faisal. Our good friend Faisal, one of the PFTPM posse OG. What free agent are you surprised is still out there? We talked about the free agents today. I am surprised Des Bryant doesn't have a job yet. That one's fairly easy. I'm a little surprised Adrian Peterson's still out there. Although the problem is, unless he's going to be the starter or in that rotation, one and two, You're not going to sign him to be a guy lower on the depth chart because he's not going to play special teams. The fact that Eric Reed got caught up in this whole anthem stuff, that does surprise me a little. I think he should have a job. The the problem is he was too close to the nucleus of the anthem protests and Colin Kaepernick. And remember last year when the league struck a deal with some of the protesting players and Reed called bullshit on some of it. And I don't know whether he was accurate or not, but he was passionate. I think that that probably would have been the final nail. If they already had some misgivings about Eric Reed, once he did that, they were done with him. And now that he's filed multiple grievances, I don't think he's getting an opportunity. But he's a guy, like Chris Sims said today on PFT Live, you have two starting safeties per team, 32 starting safeties in the NFL. Eric Reed is good enough to be one of those guys. Faisal has another question. Back when Dean Blandino was last on with you, he made a comment about how referees weren't allowed to gamble or go anywhere near casinos. Do you have any idea how true that is or how it is enforced? I I think there are a lot. I don't know about going to casinos. I There's a rule about when and how and where. I don't know. Man, I, I'd have to, I got to refresh my memory before I go down that rabbit hole. But, you know, here's the thing. When you make the officials full-time employees, when you pay them enough, when you're in a position where you're keeping tabs on them all the time, yeah, I, I look, you can't follow them around. You can't put a tail on them to make sure they don't go to a casino. But, I mean, I don't know. Do you go in the honor system? What do you do? Now, here's the thing. Is going to a casino, is, is, does that, there's this thought that like you cross into this alternate universe where you instantly are, like you walk into the Star Wars cantina and you're surrounded by all these questionable figures that are going to try to corrupt you. I, I don't know that going to a casino does that. And, and I know that, well, I mean, you still could rack up a huge debt. Your credit card debt. You know, people say, well, you know, the, the, the bookies are going to be there for people who want to gamble on credit. Well, if you're using credit card to gamble, you're gambling on credit. You're just going to have a different group that's coming after you. Instead of Rocky Balboa and company, it's going to be MasterCard, Visa, Discovery Card, Diners Club, American Express. They're, they're going to be they're going to be coming after you. You have a lot of people declaring bankruptcy to get out from under their credit card debt. So anyway, I, I don't know what the NFL is going to do, but that's one of the reasons why the leagues want the integrity fee, because they're going to have to spend money to do something. We don't know what, but they're going to have to do something to ensure that their sport doesn't become corrupted because gambling that has been happening illegally for decades all of a sudden is legal. 
Sham God, why are you withholding the gift that is Rodney Harrison from the PFTPM posse? I, I don't, well, I'd like to get him on the podcast. Rodney would be great. If I could get Rodney to get into the, the zone that he was in, that Chris Sims was in last Thursday, where we have a one-hour conversation that just happens to be recorded, that could be a hell of a thing. I, I always feel like I'm imposing on Rodney. Now, because he'll tell me I am. See, the difference between Rodney and Tony, because I, I see Rodney and Tony Dungy every Sunday, and they're great to me, and we have a great relationship. Tony will always come on PFT Live anytime I want him. And Tony, the most patient man I've ever encountered. I could have him on the PFTPM podcast. He, that's one who would be great. If we get him on for an hour and go down memory lane and get in-depth on on his time with the Steelers, his his early days of coaching, his time at the University of Minnesota as a quarterback. He was one of the guys who played quarterback at a high level in college, but because of the color of his skin, when it was time to go to the NFL, sorry, you ain't playing quarterback. And that was in the 70s. Tony would be excellent. I don't know that Rodney could stay focused for a full hour. Rodney would get upset with me at some point. Rodney would say, man, you're an idiot. Why would you say that? See, I treat stats the way Rodney treats me sometimes. Rodney doesn't treat me that way all the time. Only when I say something stupid. See, you learn from that. You think stats would learn the lesson. I only call stats an idiot when he says something idiotic. So if I don't say anything idiotic to Rodney, he doesn't call me an idiot. But I'd like to get each of them on at some point. Mike Tirico would be good too. The entire football night in America crew at some point, one at a time. That could be very compelling. The real Forno, are there any legal grounds other than a defamation suit from Reuben Foster to go after the accuser for lying about domestic assault? Well, there's criminal responsibility, lying to police officers. That's what she set herself up for by going on the witness stand today and saying she lied to the police when she said that Reuben Foster repeatedly hit her. Via PFTPM Posse member Tom G. Post, a variation of the earlier question for tomorrow. Oh, this is for tomorrow. Wait a minute. For tomorrow. Well, I'm confused now. Do you want me to answer it tomorrow? Or do you want me to answer it now? I I I'm I guess I'm asking that question to no one because it's not like they're gonna answer me. Here's the question. I'm gonna go ahead and answer it now. If it had been Super Bowl eight when Bill Belichick benched Malcolm Butler with no good explanation, would he have had any liability exposure with gambling now legal? If it had been Super Bowl eight, what the hell is Super why are we talking about Super Bowl eight? What am I missing from Super Bowl eight? Or are football reasons good? Boy, I'm confused by this one. I tell you what, PFTP and Posse, I don't know if you got into the hippie lettuce a little bit earlier today. Why don't you reformulate that question and we'll take it up tomorrow. I think I know where you're going, but let me make sure. Try that one again and we'll give it a stab tomorrow. But, but I think I know where you're going. Marky P599, do you see the NFL looking at increased TV deals based on the potential gambling advertising? It's not just gambling advertising. It's increased interest in the game. So if there's increased interest in the game, more people will be watching. If more people watch, it's more valuable as an advertising device. Therefore, the advertisers pay more money. Therefore, the property is more valuable. Therefore, the NFL charges more for it, period. Now, the one wrinkle is this. If you have people at home who are on their cell phone devices placing bets, are they really paying attention to the ads? They're less likely to change the channel, which is good, 
But during the commercial break, they're going to be looking at all the prop bets available for the next play. Think of all the action that's going to be placed during commercial breaks. And it was just a year ago. We'd like to have fewer commercial breaks. We'd like to move the game along more quickly. Maybe the fans are going to want more opportunities. You know, that whole, oh, we don't want to have a commercial before the kickoff and after the kickoff. Maybe they're going to want it now. Maybe they're going to want a commercial after every play. Can we change the play clock from 40 seconds to 80 seconds, please? Can we not do a no-huddle offense? I'm trying to make a bet here, Bill Belichick. Steph Boyardee, would you, uh, you know, I need to read these more. Let me, let me just go. I've already started. Would you rather, one, go fishing all day, but you forgot alcohol and your phone. Two, watch any show that has Stephen A. Smith in it. Three, go bear hunting by yourself. If I had to choose between those three, I would say, two, watch any TV show that has Stephen A. Smith in it because, Steph Boyardee, the flaw in your formulation. You didn't say I can't put it on mute. Steph Boyardee, can we get to know Peter King a little bit better before he comes on the show for full time? I just feel like I know nothing about the guy other than what he would, other than that he used to work for SI. Is that sarcastic? I mean, people know a lot about Peter King. He likes coffee, he likes beer. I mean, I worked with him every Sunday for nine years. He's got two daughters. He's got a grandson. His wife's name's Ann. He likes the Red Sox. Big baseball fan. He had Red Sox season tickets until not that long ago. He's very passionate about football, naturally curious. He didn't know what twerking was a few years ago. He does now. Other than that, I don't know much about Peter. Other than I have a lot of fun being around him and talking football. We'll have to get him on the PFTPM podcast at some point. Orlando Pena, I think you should have Whitlock as a guest in this podcast. Think about it. Okay, I'll think about it. Uh, no. Steph Boyardee, you always tell us things you didn't like about being a lawyer. What is something you did enjoy about it? What I enjoyed about being a lawyer was everything about being in trial. When it's all on you, good, bad, or otherwise. It's the closest thing to a true athletic competition. Because you have a plan for what you're going to prove to that jury. And they have a plan for what they're going to prove to that jury. And often, it sounds like two completely different stories altogether. And what I would always explain to a jury during opening statements, and I can't say always because I'm sure once I forgot, but one of my go-to stream of consciousness explanations during opening statement. What's opening statement? What does it mean? You're not supposed to argue, but you do. Here's what you here, here's how you do an opening statement. You don't make arguments, but you present the facts in a way that your point becomes very clear. There's a way to do it. There's an artful way to do it where you are arguing the entire step of the way. Of course you're arguing. Because here's the thing. They tell the jury not to make up their mind until after they've heard all the evidence. That never happens. That never happens. If you turn on the TV and you see Oklahoma State playing Texas Tech, and you could give two shits about either school, but there's nothing else on, and you're watching Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, and you're going to sit there and watch the game, and you you can't gamble on every play yet, so you actually have to find a way to get interested in the game. What's the best way to get interested in the game? you got to be rooting for somebody. So the best way to get interested in being on a jury, you got to be rooting for somebody. So the whole purpose of opening statement, and actually it starts in jury selection. You want the jury to be rooting for you. 
You want the jury to be in the position where if it's close, they're going your way. That they're hoping that you win. And that when you know that there are people on the jury and you can sense from their body language if they're with you or not, your job is to load them up with enough so that when it's time to go back into the jury room and argue and hash it out, they have things they can come back to. It's a lot like the political arguments that we see now, right? You turn on one cable news channel, you turn on the other. It's just the anchors and the talking heads loading up the viewers with the stuff they're going to use when they're arguing at the barbecue the next night about this, that, or the other thing. So anyway, what I would say at opening statement is, look, here's what this is. The trial is a puzzle box full of all the pieces. And all those pieces are going to be put together over the next few days. And what the opening statement is, that's the picture on the lid. You know how when you're making a puzzle, do people still make puzzles? When you're making a puzzle, you keep the lid out there. And there's the picture. And that picture on the lid becomes your guide for putting the pieces together. Well, at the end of the trial, when all the pieces are put together, which cover is this puzzle going to look like? And I'm telling you what it's going to look like. And that guy over there with the shifty eyes and one eyebrow, and he smells bad. Just wait till he comes over here. Oh, he really smells bad. I never said anything like that. I wanted to. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, he's going to go. He's going to give you a very different picture. But but I, I love that part of it. The idea that it's all on you. The obligation is there. The opportunity is there to convince someone who doesn't know you. To convince someone who doesn't know anything about your case that your version of reality is the right one. That part of it's fun. And you get a good cross-examination. There's nothing like a good cross-examination. There's nothing like hoisting someone on their own petard. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like having a great closing argument where you kind of lose yourself in it. Delivering without notes. You know, the problem is, and I always was very impressed by the lawyers who could deliver an opening statement or a closing argument without resorting to notes. The problem is, there's certain elements that you have to hit on. And it's very easy to forget. Technically. You can make it sound like you covered everything you wanted to cover, but the problem is if you forget something, something important, then as soon as you're done, you got to go deal with an argument from the other side that you forgot to say this, you forgot to say that, you didn't add this, you didn't add that, and essentially you've committed malpractice. But I always was very impressed. And maybe if I had kept practicing law, I'd be at the point now where I could just stand up and, and talk and cover everything and persuade at the same time. Instead, I do this where nothing is riding on it other than whether or not people will join the PFTPM posse and listen to the PFTPM podcast. I probably should wrap it up on that point, but let's see if there's another one that we can. I got two more I'm going to answer. Orlando Pena, sources close to the matter are saying that Stats is behind the PFTPM posse account. Can you confirm that? Stats has nothing to do with the PFTPM posse account. I can guarantee you that. Stats is not a member of the PFTPM posse. He's not pretending to be. This is not anything that was contrived or set up by him. This was organically done by the folks who enjoy the podcast, all five of them, although maybe there are 10 or 15. I haven't checked the Twitter account lately to see how many members there are of the PFTPM posse. Let me check right now. Anything more than 10 is impressive. 488. We should be at 1,000. I got I to gotta, I gotta put a little kick on that to try to get it to 1,000. Anyway, stats has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it whatsoever. And if anything, it's part of the fun. And, and see, the thing is, 
Stats doesn't realize that if he acts like something bothers him, it only makes me do it more. But if he just acted like he really didn't care, I'd probably never mention it. At Steph Boyardee, what's this wasn't one that I was planning to answer, but I'm just I'm scrolling through here. What is one thing you can't leave your house without phone doesn't count? My wallet, without question. If I don't have my wallet, wallet first, belt second. If I don't have my wallet, I don't feel right. And I will from time to time do the wallet check just to make sure I have my wallet. And, you know, I know exactly, you know, exactly the pocket I keep it on. You just do that. Did you do that? The touch to your front pant pocket. I don't have a very big wallet. I just have, where is it? It's here somewhere. Here it is. Well, I didn't think I'd be talking about my wallet today. I just have, it's it's carbon fiber. It's really nice. It wasn't expensive. It's a uh, it's a little flat uh, thing that holds my cards. I've got uh, you know driver's license, uh, Delta Sky Club card, uh, three credit cards, ATM card, health insurance card, and uh, Social Security card. I don't know why I still carry this damn thing. I've had this. I've had my Social Security card. I probably should just stop carrying it. I don't need it. I know the number. Anyway, that's slid down into the sleeve, and then I've got the magnetized thing that holds the cash. If I don't have that with me, and I can carry it front pocket because it slips, you know, it's it's not like the old days when you had that big giant Costanza wallet that had to jam in your back pocket. So I don't feel right if I don't have that, and I don't feel right if I don't have a belt on. Something's not right if I'm not wearing a belt. And this goes back to, I don't, I don't know when that started. I don't know, like in high school, we had to wear a shirt and tie to school every day. I went to a Catholic school. And if you forgot your belt, like, it's like you forgot your pants. Like something's not right here. Like you're not complete. You don't have a belt. I don't know. That make any sense. A lot of things don't, that I do don't make any sense. Uh, all right. What else do we have here? Oh, here it is. Steph Boyardee. What's your favorite thing about going on the road for PFT live? Um, Here's what I enjoy the most, and uh, I, I mean, this, you know, it's, it sounds hokey, it sounds stupid, but when we're done, right, I, I mean, usually when I'm from, when I'm here at home and we wrap it up, that's it. I go back about my business and, and off we go. When, when we're on the road, you know, we go out and grab breakfast. And when you don't work in an office, when you don't work in a facility, when you don't see the people all the time that you work with, the, the opportunity to just go hang out and shoot the shit and eat food together, except when it's stats cutting up his entire damn stack of pancakes. Even that was fun, right? That becomes a bit. That enhances the relationship and gives you stuff you can bust balls about. So that's what I like the most. The minute it's done, the minute it's done, the ability to go find a restaurant and sit down and hang out and eat. And Monday and Tuesday, Chris when Chris Sims did the show, he and I and Matt Casey went and had breakfast. And, and that's, I mean, that's, I, I just, it, part of it is the show's done and you can, you know, you talk a little bit about the show and talk a little bit about the next day and just kind of hang out and just that, that part of it's fun. That that's, that's the most fun part of the whole process for me is getting away from it and decompressing when I'm on the road and can go have a nice breakfast and hang out with the people that I work with. Now, the part that I hate, you didn't ask me, but I'm telling you anyway, my God, when you wake up in a different bed in a different city, and, you know, my, I, I mean, you're in a hotel room, and when my wife's with me, she came with me this week, like, I don't want to wake her up, she's a fairly light sleeper, so the whole process of getting myself awake and getting myself ready, it's so different when you're in that completely foreign element, especially when there was no hot water on Wednesday at the hotel we stayed at, no hot water at all, 
And I know that sounds like a first world problem, but as I mentioned yesterday on PFT Live, I'd like to think they've solved the challenge of hot water in most third world countries. It may not be clean water, but I'd like to think that hot water is available. And it definitely wakes you up when you have to take a cold shower. So uh, I'm still miffed about that. I'm trying to figure, I'm not going to call out the hotel publicly. I, I don't, you know, I... I'm not going to go on Twitter. It's it's like funny when Delta busts one of my luggage bags and they did it twice so far this year. But here's what upset me about it. I, is this unrealistic? If you're listening to it this deep in and we're an hour and 10 minutes in, why in the How have I been talking for that long? If you're still listening, ask me, is it wrong for me to be upset that at 2 p.m. on Tuesday, Three hours and 15 minutes before our dinner reservations in advance of the show that I went to and cried at. I found out three hours and 15 minutes before leaving for the day for dinner and a show that from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. there was not going to be hot water in basically most of the hotel. Is it wrong for me to be upset about that? Because as I learned after the fact, the hotel had known about it for two full days. And I tried to convince the member of management that if I had known about it two days early, I would have found other accommodations for that night. And the guy was, and I don't, I just, he had that way about him where he just did not give a shit. And it's funny, at least pretend to give a shit. I can tell you, I didn't say this to him, but I can, it's like, I can feel he doesn't give a shit. Like, why are you even acting like you give a shit? But the attitude was, oh, well, there's nothing available. Everything's booked. You wouldn't have found another room. It's like, well, how can you tell me I wouldn't have found another room when I didn't get a chance? All I'm asking for is give me the chance. Give me the opportunity to make other arrangements. Because I would have stayed at the one place for two nights and then gone somewhere else. That would have been preferable to having to take a cold shower at 5... Well, what I, I got up at 5. 5 a.m. on Wednesday. So anyway, that's... Again, if that's the worst thing that happens to me this week, that's a damn good week. I don't... I don't like, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't complain about the food in the press box. I, I love, I live a charmed life. All I'm asking for is if you know two days before I know that there's not going to be hot water, tell me when you know. Don't sandbag me on the water going to be cold because what the hell else am I going to do? I had three hours and 15 minutes to figure out a plan B. I didn't even try to. So... Yeah, you know what? As I, I'm trying to make it sound better. I wouldn't be doing a very good job with this if this were the case that I was taking to trial right now because I'm not even convinced it's that big of a deal. But let me tell you, yesterday, was it yesterday? It was two days ago. I found out on Tuesday. I was, I, it's just, why don't you tell me when I check in? You knew when I checked in. I checked in, what time was it? I checked in at 5 o'clock on Sunday within the 48-hour bubble when they knew I wasn't going to have Hot water from the hours of 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. You know, I'm not making it any better the harder I try. But let me just, why didn't you just tell me when you checked in? You know, by the way, on the third night of your stay, we're not going to have any hot water in the entire hotel between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. We hope that's not a problem. Well, it is a problem because my show starts at 6 a.m. I don't think they're going to give me a one-hour dispensation so I can hang around long enough to take a shower. I would have found another room. All right. I'm still not convinced that any of you care. Feel free to say so. This will be the test. We'll know how big the PFTPM posse really is. If any of you actually listen to this much of it and bothered to chime in on whether or not I, I am. And here's the question. Is it fair for me to be upset that they didn't tell me when I checked in on Sunday that on Tuesday night I wasn't going to have out hot water between 
10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Yes or no? Talk to you tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.